This podcast is for information only and should not be considered legal advice. There is no representation that the legal services to be performed by LOCA are better than the services of other attorneys. There is no guarantee of the outcome. Success is rendered on a case-by-case basis. You are listening to the Legally Blind Justice Podcast. Schools are heading into spring break, a chance to get away from school before the big push to the end of the year. While on spring break, you may have gotten into a bit of trouble, which is why you're listening to us. Under current Title IX rules, what happens at spring break typically does not affect what happens when you get back to college. Under some new changes proposed for Title IX, this could change. We'll take a look at the possible changes today. At K. Altman Law, we talked to hundreds of people who have discovered that what they thought was not a big deal is a life-altering event. Students who thought they could work it out with the school are being expelled, suspended, or placed on probation. This podcast will discuss those issues, tell you where to find help, and explain how the systems work. To help us today, we've invited Amy Brown, who is an attorney that specializes in Title IX and who also served as a college Title IX administrator. She will provide some insight and commentary about the proposed changes to Title IX and how they may impact you, the students. The last time the regulations were altered was in 2020 under then-President Donald Trump. President Biden has proposed a number of significant changes to the Title IX regulations that will have a severe impact on students. So we're going to go through some of those changes with you today and see how they're going to impact you as a student. The first one we're going to look at is the new regulations propose eliminating Title IX hearings. So tell me a little bit about this and and why that's a problem. You are entitled to a hearing. And the benefit of that is you have the right to confront your accuser and do a thorough and sifting cross-examination, which reflects what you, you have in the Constitution. So... Without this ability to confront and cross-examine your accuser and witnesses, the concern is that they can just come in, make a statement, and there's really no pushback to drill down to the truth in what is being alleged against you. Some universities consider this to be a good thing because they're concerned that the um, way the hearings are structured now, it's has a chilling effect and that students will not want to come forward. We're concerned that it is detrimental because it's how do you get to the truth if you can't ask questions? You're just going to come and make a statement and that's it. So how are you going to figure out what's a lie and what's not a lie without really cross-examining somebody? So that's what that's a very big concern about these changes. So the Changes for, to, to require a live hearing came in under the 2020 rules. What did schools do before 2020 when you were a Title IX coordinator? They didn't have to have a live hearing. They had, some of them even had a one investigator model, which is there was one investigator who made the decision, maybe after a meeting. So it's a concern that it's all driven by too little um, light being shed on the allegations. All right. Another proposed change is 
uh, to employee notification requirements. Under the old, under the 2020 rules, um, there were some very strict guidelines of who, who was supposed to and required to uh, report Title IX violations. So what are the new changes going to do to this requirement? The new changes are going to essentially make everybody um, a mandated reporter. You either have to turn over the information to uh, the Title IX office yourself or give the information on how to report to the student who's telling you about what's happened. So this is a concern because if you give the information to the student about how to make a report, do you have to follow up? Um, is the school on actual notice? What are the school's obligations after a student has confessed to their favorite art teacher about what's happened? And it, what is the school's training like? So it's fraught with complications, if nothing else. So as an example, I had an experience and I went to you as my teacher and I said, I want to share something with you. I'm not ready to report this or anything. If I tell you, here's how to make a report, I'm done. When is the school on notice to actually do something? And this is going to require a lot of training for folks who have never been involved in Title IX training. Well, I've seen Title IX trainings that somebody stands up in front of a group of 100 faculty and says, okay, don't forget about Title IX, and sits back down. So the, the faculty, staff, administrators are really going to have to get behind the Title IX training understand when something rises to that level, and then what is their obligation under these new rules if they go through as proposed? Do they? How do they turn around and make a complaint to Title IX? Do they have to just call the Title IX office? Do they have to uh, make notes that they actually told the student what to do and how to do it? So there's a lot of pieces that are going to have to come together to protect uh, the students and their rights under Title IX. Some of these, those procedural changes. One of them allows the complaint to be both oral and written. What's the significance of that change? At the present time, it has to be in writing. Now I can just tell the Title IX officer or investigator or my professor about something that happened. Think about the old telephone game that's going to get mutated by the time it gets to where it needs to go in the form of an allegation. So it's not as clean. It may be easier to make a complaint, but I'm concerned that the complaint is going to get polluted by the time it becomes an allegation. So under the 2020 rules, you were allowed to dismiss complaints that weren't considered Title IX. And so sometimes that would push it into the school rules. So under the new requirements, they're eliminating this provision. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Actually, I think it's a good thing because um, it's cleaner. It prevents the student from having to go maybe from the Title IX office to the student life office. It's one-stop shopping. It doesn't uh, get as confusing as to whether or not we're proceeding under Title IX or student conduct rules, it's just going to be handled. So actually, I think that's a good thing. 
Yeah, so it's going to get rid of what we used to call that dual track. Absolutely. Exactly. Another change is it allows schools to provide parties with either access to the evidence gathered in an investigation or a written report, but would not require them to provide both. So as I'm here, if I understand this, I can either give you the evidence to look at or I can give you my written report. Currently, I got to give you everything. Is that, am I interpreting that correctly? What's that mean? Yes, you're interpreting that correctly. And think about that. So the investigator can send you the report and then you're relying on the investigator's interpretation of the evidence. Or you can, the investigator can give you just the evidence and you don't know what's in the report. So that's terrifying that you are relying on one or the other and you don't know what's being said about it. So this is terrifying. I can't imagine why this was proposed. I don't understand the thinking behind it. I don't understand the rationale behind it. It's, it's, it's playing hide the ball with somebody's future. And I think that the person is entitled to have a note everything that's being alleged and the evidence against them and any information about them. Otherwise they can't respond. You don't know what exactly is out there. If there's a text message that you said something and you never see the text message, how can you put the text message in proper context? If there's a video and you never get to see the video, how can you say that wasn't me? Look, I'm over here in my raincoat, you know, talking to girls. I'm not over there harassing anybody. So it's just really bad news. And another thing they're going to uh, allow was something that was eliminated in 2020. And that's the single investigator model where the, where the investigator can also make the decisions regarding responsibility. Talk to me about the issues with this. That's back to shedding light on um the situation. So let's say I'm the investigator and I'm human and I decide that I just don't like somebody and I can't, you know, I can't put that prejudice or bias aside. And so everything that that person tells me, I'm looking at with this um, negative view and this negative bias, which is going to infiltrate in um, complicate the investigation. Now I'm going to make a decision about this person that I don't really like, and I never believed what this person said. There's no way to turn that around unless you get somebody else with a fresh set of eyes and uh, no bias and just taking it, picking it up from where I left off and looking at it. So I really think that that's a problem. You're not going to have cross-examination and you're not going to have anybody come after me and take a look at what I've done. Maybe I don't understand consent or maybe I don't understand as an investigator, the difference between intoxication and incapacitation. And that pollutes my decision. There's nobody to come behind me or after me and really examine that. So I think that that's a big, big problem. And I can't imagine why this was considered to be a good idea. This is just really, really bad. And it seems to me that the background of the investigator could definitely play into his or her perceptions of what's going on. 
we've run into investigators who are former police officers, and, and they have one certain frame when they're looking at it. Uh, we've run into some folks who were uh, lawyers and have a, a slightly different frame when they're acting as the investigator. And some folks who are simply college folks who have moved into this position. And each one of them prints a very different frame of reference as they're investigating. And then often find those with a police background tend to be less sympathetic towards complaint, towards respondents. And, and, and sometimes that's clouds their judgment as they're, as they're moving through the process. Exactly. And I think that that's an excellent point. And we rarely get a chance to um, cross-examine the investigator. And now we're not going to get a chance to, at all to cross-examine the investigator and see what the qualifications and background and potential biases are. I had a hearing once where this was the investigator's first case. So a proper cross-examination would be, what's your training? What's your background? What's your experience? And if it's your first one, the hearing panel can look at that and say, okay, well, let's consider the weight of what the investigator has done since it's the first one. And maybe that person doesn't know what he or she is doing. Another proposed change would allow students to report Title IX violations after they've left college due to an incident of sexual harassment. Now, if you've got a sexual assault complaint right now, you can come back and make that complaint. And that's really the, the only one that's allowed, you're gonna come back on. But what they're basically saying, it sounds like is they're opening up any potential violation after you've left to come back and make a report. Am I reading that right? You are, and we should all be terrified. Why would somebody wanna do that? Is it because they didn't realize it was wrong at the time? Or is it because they just now broke up with the person and now they could do something like that? So does that mean that after you graduate, you have to worry about whether or not your degree could be taken away by your ex who is on a vendetta against you and comes up with this crazy idea? Is there no time limit? This is crazy. It's crazy. I'm sorry. I don't understand the rationale behind it. If somebody could explain that to me, maybe I would not be so upset right now. I just don't understand why that's considered to be a good thing. I don't, uh, do you, what could the possible reason be for that? I mean, it's clearly obvious on the sexual assault that that person needs the opportunity to come back and make a report once they've had a chance to, to, to seek some help, but to be able to come back on, on any requirement just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And sexual harassment is now the term is going to be much broader. So that's a problem too. Yeah, and that brings up the point. They're actually increasing the the number of folks who would be considered covered under Title IX. Uh, the rationale, we're adding pregnancy, we're adding gender requirements, and those other requirements. And, and to be honest, I think those are good requirements. I think they that we should be offering protections to everyone. But it's going to be a much broader scope of students who qualify now under Title IX. Um, There is still going to be an informal resolution process. And as my understanding is with current regulations, certain safeguards are going to have to be followed. Now, we're hoping that these regulations are similar to what's in place now and they don't become more restrictive because the informal resolution process has been a a great way to deal with, you don't want to say minor issues, but with... uh, issues that are 
more about that mediation and some and some other avenues are a better approach than a full-blown investigation. So we're hoping that those continue. But there's another area that's going to see some significant changes possibly, and that's the employee Title IX issues. The 2020 regulations brought a lot of employees under Title IX that may not have been there before. Uh, some of those used to be handled under Title VII or some other employment law. So one of the hopes that we're, we're, we want to see is that maybe that distinction gets, uh, we're hoping that distinction is better defined under Title IX because it seems like a, a lot of employees, uh, employee on employee situations, turn into Title IX. Now, we still definitely want to see the employee and student relations in Title IX. What are you seeing under uh, the proposed regulations here? So you're exactly right. So it appears that employee-only involvement is going to be removed from Title IX and put back into um, contract dispute or uh, whatever is in their the manual for that type of employee. So it will be removed from Title IX and uh, elsewhere. But it's the employees will still have protections. It's just not going to be under Title IX. We talked a little bit about the definitions of the terms going to increase because of most likely sexual orientation, gender identity, pregnancy, or other forms of discriminations are going to be included on here. But we're also going to incorporate a much broader definition of what harassment is and what's actionable under Title IX. Talk to me about what some of those changes there are going to be. So any sex stereotype harassment is going to be included. Any pregnancy issues are going to be included. So there have to be lactation rooms, which is a good thing, but that could be a Title IX violation if a school doesn't have it. And the changes are going to be if the conduct is severe or pervasive and objectively and subjectively offensive. That's different than today, which is severe, pervasive, and objectively offensive. So now it seems to me that it's it's the burden is lower, the bar is lower, and the changes could be, um, I feel like you're harassing me, so that's the way it is. I feel like you're harassing me because I'm pregnant and you're making fun of pregnant women, and so that's a Title IX violation. And it could be a much, much lower standard. What is severe? It has to be severe just to me. And so it's my sensitivities, not looking at it from the outside, looking in where everybody would reasonably be offended by that statement. So I'm concerned that it's going to be a lot, there's going to be more minefields for professors to say something that might be offensive to one particular student. And it's just not reasonable. You know, what does, oh, you look nice today. Does that mean that I've offended you? If I accidentally brush up against you, does that mean I've offended you? Does that, or her, you know, is that a, a offensive touching? It, it seems like there's going to be more danger in the everyday world on yeah, campus. So some, some of the language I've seen replaces severe, pervasive, and objectively offensive with sufficiently severe or pervasive, which is a much looser and, and, and lower standard. Under the current standard, you've yes. got to basically be severe, pervasive, and objectively 
offensive. So it's got to be all three of those. So under these new standards, it's really been rolled back to pre-2020 levels. So the bar is significantly at, lower. Much lower. So let's look at one more uh, change as we're, as, as we're running up on time. Currently, Title IX applies only to school on campus and school-related events. It doesn't apply overseas, and it doesn't apply to off-campus uh, incidents that, that aren't school-related. The, there was a case in Arizona where uh, a football player and, and a young lady had an incident off-campus, and the court said, no, that doesn't qualify as Title IX. Well, the new rules, as I read them, are going to make that much broader. And um, so that off-campus incidents involving a respondent become subject to, to Title IX. Am I reading that correctly? Is there something I'm missing there? I think you're spot on. We had a case, you may recall, where there were two students going to the same college on the East Coast, and they met before school even started on the West Coast. They happened to live in the same town. And the there was a complaint alleged about some inappropriate conduct, and it was considered to be a Title IX violation. And we objected because they were not in school. They were not even in, on campus. They weren't actually students yet. And it was on out of state. And the school just ignored us and kept marching forward. That type of incident would now be covered under Title IX. And so if we go on a trip to study art in Paris, and it's a school-sponsored trip, anything that might happen there would be covered, even though it's in Paris and not Paris, France, not Paris, Kentucky. The Title IX web has really been widened and lowered. So that type of behavior or conduct outside of the campus, outside of school activities, outside of school itself is now open for Title IX. So these rules, they were proposed last year. They've gone undergone a comment period, and there have literally been thousands of comments, suggestions, papers presented to the administration for recommended changes or suggestions. And they run the full gamut from both sides of the spectrum. The new rules will come out in May. We will have to then start operating under those rules probably next school year. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So they'll probably come out in May and be effective in August. So it gives everybody time to revamp their policies and procedures, get some training in place, and get ready for the new school year in August. All right. So we need to be looking for those because they're going to have a serious impact on what happens at school. These are going to be much broader rules. So we would anticipate more Title IX cases. They're going to be, in some cases, the reporting is easier. Uh, those who are required to report, that group has increased. So we should anticipate uh, many more Title IX uh, violations than we're currently seeing. And what if you're a student then, and you get accused of a Title IX violation, is it something you think you can handle on your own, or do you think somebody's going to need help with it? You're going to need help, and quickly, because as you can see, one misstep is going to potentially end your academic career at that institution. Um, so a student who's been accused needs help 
because the rules are so easily used as a weapon against you, not as a shield around you. So I would highly recommend that if somebody has allegations, that they reach out to somebody who specializes in Title IX. Amy Brown, thank you for being with us today. We'll look forward to having a further discussion once the final rules come out and we can look at what the actual impacts will be on students. That sounds great. I look forward to it. Thank you for being here today and discussing this topic. I'm sure this will not be the last time that we discuss Title IX. If you are accused of violating Title IX or accused of some other college offense, reach out to K. Altman Law for professional advice. The school or the university has complex rules, policies, and procedures to govern the process. They have a legal staff to advise them, and you should as well. You need experienced help to get the results that you need. Trust a firm such as K. Altman Law to guide you through the legal minefield and get the results you want. Thank you for listening to the Legally Blind Justice Podcast. If you have a legal question, give us a call at 1-888-984-1341 or check us out on the web at kaltmanlaw.com.